What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another live stream. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Today is Friday, 11, 18, 2022. And the drama has kind of subsided. There is a lot less going on today. Last 24 hours. Not too many stories have broken. There's a little bit about Silvergate. We're going to talk about that for a second. I'm going to go into some charts. And then I pulled out a couple articles that I wanted to go through uh, to kind of discuss how I look at those, the the topics in there. So one of them is a shipping thing, uh, like, you know, container shipping. And then one of them is a copper chart that was tweeted out by, so that's not an article, it's a tweet by Shy Girl on Twitter. And so we will go over that copper chart. And then lastly, I want to hit on the G20 Vax Pass and read through the little section of the G20 comments that were passed or approved at the end of the conference and see exactly what it says about the Vax Pass because there's a lot of stuff swirling around that. So kind of that's what I have lined up. Uh, just a reminder, this is a Telegram live stream that I simulcast over to Twitter spaces. So welcome. If you want to join the Telegram, t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets, that's where uh, most of my com- conversations during the day go on and we go back and forth on many different topics. Anyway, there's a lot of conversation going on and I enjoy it immensely. What else? Yeah, lots of content for me this week, guys. So, of course, all of these live streams have gone out on the podcast feed and we had FedWatch and then I cut and edited FedWatch down. We did have a, a question from Point BTC. He said, uh, you know, does this come, do the, does the podcast version, can it come out sooner? Because it's like two days delayed. But really, that's due to the process that we have with Bitcoin Magazine and myself. So I'm like the main producer of the content, but I'm not the editor or the poster. So we're trying to take out a few of those intervening steps and make it more streamlined. Uh, so hopefully that gets quicker in the future. I mean, I could get it out the very same day if um, if I had permissions to upload it to the podcast feed. So we're trying to work on a few things like that, get stuff hammered out and sorry, it's so delayed, but yeah, lots of content from me this week. Um, if you go to Bitcoin markets.com forward slash find dash us, then you can find all of the different places that we're on. So we're on like, you know, all the different podcast apps. You can find the rumble link to the rumble channel and to the odyssey channel. Of course, for people that are new listening, um, I was, terminated from youtube so that hasn't you know changed nothing with that status has changed yet but uh anyway so let's get into today's content let's start with the bitcoin price let me just pull up a chart i did put this in the telegram chat so now nobody now twitter spaces is empty so hopefully we get some people going uh coming back into twitter spaces but uh, yeah, so I post all these things on the Telegram channel and so we can go through them. So let's start with this Bitcoin chart. And man, does it look like a bear flag or what? I think this is, there has, there, there's no life in the Bitcoin chart right now. Um, it's very depressing, actually, when you look at this chart, you look at the fundamentals, 
you look at how much the world needs Bitcoin right now, how much their people should be discovering Bitcoin. And it's just, there's no demand out there right now. Um, it could also be, well, it's, it's not manipulation. Like I, I would say with, with FTX, there was some manipulation going on there because they were naked shorting Bitcoin. Um, but this price right now is at least has a lot less manipulation in it. So I don't think the big guys can be accumulating unless they're doing an OTC, which they there's not a ton OTC to find either because the miners have all sold a lot of their stuff to pay their bills in the last six months. So there's not a lot of OTC supply. There's not a lot of supply on the exchanges. So I don't see the big money coming in at this point. They need to see some bottom put in. They need to see that there is hodlers of last resort and that there is a bottom before they can come in and start buying in size. But there is, I think, a lot of people waiting. There, There's a lot of people that really want to invest, I think, in Bitcoin, that they're just waiting to see where the bottom is. So once we do put in that bottom, whether it's a hard wick continuing down to the downside, down to 12,000, I can't believe it, but let, let's say it happens. That could be a hard bottom. We'll see. But right now there is no life in this Bitcoin chart whatsoever. We have to get over 19,000 to continue to be bullish or to turn around and be bullish uh, to stop the trend, the downward trend. Uh, and man, is there a lot of resistance? There's a lot of resistance above the price between 16,500 where we're at and 19,000. And there's not a lot of life. So I don't have confidence that it's going to break up anytime soon. And I really hate saying that guys. It's, it's very depressing to look at this chart and think, man, we got six more months of this, but that's what it's looking like right now. Um, if you would have asked me in the middle of October, I would have said, oh man, we have one more week until it breaks out because look, it's getting the end of this pattern and stuff. But no, right now there's no pattern that I can see on the chart to say that this is going to has a, even a possibility of turning around in the next month or two. So I think we have another couple months of bear market. Ah, depressing. The next chart I have is just the hourly chart and we have lower highs on the hourly pretty much we do have higher lows but we'll see how that holds up there is one positive correlation with the other risk assets like stocks they are going up gold has also rallied as over the last week as the dollar has come down we'll look at some of those currencies here in a second or at least the hong kong dollar one specifically um, so those are i mean the general milieu that Bitcoin is existing in right now is should be somewhat bullish for the price should be, but it's this overhang of this damn FTX stuff and the contagion. Everybody's worried about the contagion. What is the next shoe to drop? You know, we hear rumors about this company, um, whether it's Genesis Coinbase, even, solvency problems who knows but as long as people are worried about these rumors 
And there is a possibility that some of these rumors are true. I mean, I don't think the entire, I, I honestly don't think Coinbase is insolvent. I think they're, I think they have, you know, way over a million Bitcoins and they have all their custody of all their stuff. And I, I think even though Michael Armstrong, I'm the first one to say that he's a shit coiner and he is to blame for some of the way that the market is right now with all these altcoins having been run amok and idiotic investors that have been educated by these Coinbase videos and other educational crypto videos to believe that these altcoins have some legitimacy and they, you know, they're technologically illiterate. They've promoted that and taught that to the market. So I blame uh, Brian Armstrong for a lot of things, but I don't think that he's insolvent. Um, so that is, that's that, I guess. <laughs> uh, what else we have? Okay, so I did post a, a chart of the S&P 500. We did open higher. Uh, so it went up overnight, but now we're red on the day. This is very interesting. I, I always love seeing how uh, overnight trades because I remember this is uh, over a decade ago, probably back in like during the great financial crisis, maybe uh, that there's this company I want to say it was like Nanex. Can't remember the name of it now, but it was a, you know, high frequency trader data company. So they went in and they tried to follow all of the different trades that are going on with these high frequency trading companies. And they found that the biggest, like pretty much you would capture 90% of the gains or something like that in the stock market between three and 4 a.m. Eastern time. Way before, you know, overnight. So most of the gains to the stock market happens overnight in these gaps, which is crazy to think about, but that is most of the gains. You would capture most of the gains just by trading that one hour, buying at three, selling at four. But anyway, so yeah, we opened up. Now we're a little bit red on the day, but looking at the S&P 500 chart versus a Bitcoin chart, it, it looks like there is a case to be made for a bullish take right here. Um, if you zoom out a little bit more, there's also a possibility of forming a inverted head and shoulders. So if we come back down, say 50% from this recent rally, so the October rally, we take back 50% of that and then go higher, we would have this really long inverted head and shoulders that has taken up, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about eight months time of this inverted head and shoulders, that would be pretty significant on the chart and look pretty good. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen, guys. I, I, my, all of the things that I'm predicting are coming halfway true. So we'll see halfway true would be, we go sideways. <laughs> I, I'm not, you know, I was very, very bullish on Bitcoin in the stock market just a month ago. And it, kind of worked out for the stock market here. I mean, we bounced up pretty significantly all the way from 3,500 on the S&P 500 up to 4,000. That's a pretty damn good jump, but Bitcoin went down. Also, there's a lot of bullish things happening with the dollar going down. Some of that dollar shortage stress and pressure in the financial system, in the global economy is getting alleviated. And that will that should enable risk assets that should enable the economy to kind of take some breath 
um, you know, have some reflation here, which would be bullish for Bitcoin and bullish for stocks and bullish for all these things. But at the same time, the yield curve is extremely inverted. The euro dollar curve, I think it's like um, 180 basis points inverted. Jeff Schneider was talking about that on his show. That it's like one of the biggest inversions in euro dollar history. And the 30 year just went below the four week treasury. So the entire curve is inverted for the U.S. Treasury curve. And that is signaling massive, massive pain and massive recession coming. You know, another great financial crisis type event. And that is not what I'm predicting at all. So we'll see. We'll see how this turns out. I think we need more data. I think the winter, the next month is going to be very telling. So we have a lot of things happening in this month with energy, you know, with Europe getting a little colder. Winter winter is here pretty much. I saw snow in Kiev with blackouts. You had all these bombing campaigns. Of course, uh, there's all that stuff happening in Ukraine that I think is setting up for a winter offensive by the Russians with their freshly mobilized troops. I think they have maybe 80,000 of the 300,000 that have come to the front line now. Uh, so they're just getting started on their full strength type real Russian military. So a lot of things can happen in the next few weeks. I would say next six weeks to the end of the year, a lot is going to happen. A lot is going to change and we're going to get, I mean, we also have the, of course, the next Fed decision, raising rates or not raising rates with the interest rates coming down, right? So again, lots of stuff going to happen in the next six weeks. I think we get a much clearer picture of where we are headed uh, because right now it is, I would say over the last two weeks, it has become cloudy. There is a fog of war over the markets, at least for me. So that should be clearing up, I think, by the end of the year, and we'll go from there. Oh, what else do we have to talk about here? So that's the charts. I wanted to talk about Silvergate. I want to pull up a tweet by Dylan LeClaire. You guys are probably following him. He, he's a real awesome guy. I mean, I can't believe he's so young. But uh, I met him in Nashville this year and have interviewed him quite a few times for FedWatch. I mean, good guy. He's got great content. I mean, he is just cutting edge on Twitter. Um, being so young, he just has a knack for for Twitter that is just amazing. But anyway, so he tweeted out some things here about Silvergate. And we mentioned this on the Telegram channel a couple of days ago, I believe, because people were raising the flag about Silvergate. And at the time... I said, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I, I was not too worried about it. I said, I said that it's possible, but this guy sounds like he's talking his own book. I think that was what um, my reaction at the time was. But now Silvergate is down 46% in the last month. They are a big bank to all of these crypto exchanges and institutions. So you have FTX, Coinbase, Circle. Bitstamp, Kraken, Gemini, Crypto.com, and Paxos. They all bank with this Silvergate exchange network. And supposedly, someone was saying that this Silvergate was the thing, the intermediary 
that allowed all of this like explosion of the economy, the crypto economy, quote unquote, crypto economy in the last two years or so. So it, it has always been trouble for these Bitcoin companies or exchanges to get banked because the banks just would not want to touch them, whether it is through collusion, which is possible. They just don't like Bitcoin or whether it was through, you know, a, their own risk aversion. They didn't want to touch it because who knows what the regulations will be in a few years. And they don't want to get into a really entangled relationship with these companies. So, um, and they don't know how the money laundering stuff, like they don't know if they get involved with crypto.com if, or FTX, I guess, if half of their business is just money laundering. Right. And so they rightfully, I think, or it's, it's understandable that they didn't want banks didn't want to get involved. So that was the current state just a couple of years ago. And now all of a sudden, everybody was able to get banked through this Silvergate. So this like pre-Silvergate, post-Silvergate uh, economy. Obviously, FTX went under. Crypto.com is having trouble. Gemini is having trouble. My beloved Bitstamp, <laughs> that's what I use for my Bitcoin charts, uh, is might be having trouble. Who knows? I mean, it's it's crazy to think that this all of this contagion is going to spill down to Silvergate. And if Silvergate goes under, I mean, then you got Circle and Coinbase and Kraken, some really big names there. All right, what else does uh, he have to say? Um, Silvergate stock is getting hammered down 14%, and that was on the 15th. Let's see. This makes sense. Subpoena on money laundering suspicions. Okay, so this was a tweet that Silvergate recently subpoenaed. Oh, sorry. Recently subpoenaed Silvergate bank records reveal $425 million in transferred from Silvergate crypto bank accounts to South American money launderers. Affidavit from investigation into crypto crime ring linked to smugglers, drug traffickers. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Let's see what else he has to say. He has a new post here. So Falcon X's goal is to be the safest counterparty during these market conditions. We are monitoring market conditions concerning key industry players and how it affects our customers. Out of an abundance of caution for our customers, we will not use be using Silvergate and wires effective immediately and until further notice. Wow. So people are starting to cut out Silvergate. Any assets sent via SEN or to Silvergate, so from Silvergate or to Silvergate via wire transfers, will be deemed an invalid settlement, and you will owe Falcon X the full settlement amount. Falcon X otherwise continues to operate as usual. We will accept settlement in USDC and to our signature bank account. Please reach out to our relationship manager for details. Wow. So some of the people in the industry are starting to cut out the Silvergate. That is pretty big. Dylan, Dylan says, this is what worries me. U.S. crypto firms really only have two banking relationships, Silvergate and Signature. S-E-N, I guess that's Signature. I don't know. Um, network allows firms to transfer balances between each other. Banking access 
and these dollar rails are key to these firms shown below. And then, of course, all those people I talked about. FTX didn't have a primary bank account. It was through Alameda, admitted by Sam Bankman. Silvergate just got hit with money laundering charges earlier this week. So not only the FTX, but also the money laundering charges. So these are two things hitting Silvergate at the same time. Okay, then he posts that video that I saw that we have in the Telegram channel. Silvergate has said that they had no loan book exposure to FTX. But as Alder Lane Eggs said, the real worry is the depositors. All right, so he's running with this. That one thing that he posted 22 hours ago about people not using Silvergate to settle, that is pretty significant. Um, Of course, they don't say why they won't accept them, just that they aren't accepting them. It's not that they don't want to be tainted by any sort of uh, money laundering charges, but maybe it's either that or it is like solvency issues, but that's very, very interesting. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. Let's talk about the copper chart that I posted this morning in Telegram, and it was posted by Shy Girl. I can't remember her name right now off the top of my head, but it's C-H-I-G-R-L on Twitter. She's very into, she's an expert in the oil industry, even though she probably, oh, for some reason, my Twitter space is just shut off. Second Friday stream. Hold on, guys. Sorry, I'm just setting this back up here. All right, so the shy girl, she's supposed to be some expert in the oil industry, and I think she is. And she posted this chart about global copper production and global copper consumption. That there by 2030, there's this huge gap. Now, this is one of these things that this is a fear-mongering chart. Okay. This chart can't happen. All right. I, I just want you guys to understand this. That you can't have this huge gap of demand and supply. Demand will always equal supply. It just is a question of the price, right? So you can't open up this big gap in supply and demand out to 2030. So the gap actually starts, they say, in about 2024, it opens up. And then by 2030, there's this huge gap. But you know what that is discounting? The market effects back in 2024. The market is working this whole time during this chart. There's no way that it can get to being this out of whack. The only way it can get to being this out of whack is with a supply shock, which is what we had in 2020. People interpreted the supply shock as a fundamental change, which we could debate that, okay? But it is, the market can recover. That's why it's transitory. The market is going to recover back to uh, equilibrium somewhere. You know, that supply shock will work itself out of the system. I just think it's amazing when people post these type of fear-mongering charts of, oh my God, look at the humongous disparity in this chart. By 2030, the supply and demand is going to be so out of whack in the copper market. No, it's not. 
it's it's going to self-correct along the entire way. They're overestimating demand. That's the fundamental. They're overestimating demand. Just like people are overestimating demand in the oil market. And why the oil price continues to fall. Oh, that was another chart I didn't touch on. Oil has fallen out of bed today. So yeah, it's just crazy when I just want, the. I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that people, maybe it's that people can't think in four dimensions, right, through time. And when you look at this chart, it looks very convincing, like, oh yeah, copper demand is going to grow this much every year, but production is only going to grow this much, and there's going to be this huge discrepancy. No, 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 no. Supply equals demand, period. It's that things move through time and price adjusts. There is a ton of economic illiteracy out there. And if Shy Girl is posting this chart, and I mean, I, let, me, let me pull this up to see what she exactly said because I didn't quote her. She said, this may be a problem, hashtag copper. Since she's posting this chart, this tells me that she is economically illiterate. I don't know if I'm off base here, guys. You tell me at the end here when, when we open up the mic, but it's just crazy. Okay, let's go on to the next thing. I said I was going to try to keep these under 30 minutes, and I'm already at 30 minutes. So <laughs> let's uh, pull up this article on same ship, different day. Same ship, different day. This is an article on Zero Hedge written by Michael Every of Rabobank, 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 whatever, however you pronounce that. Last year, we published a report called In Deep Ship, which in which we argued supply chains were breaking down for a number of reasons, just as excess demand, uh, sorry, not just excess demand. This process would continue until a downturn, but politics and geopolitics meant even that would just provide a pause. The deeper I dug, the more I was personally convinced inflation wasn't transitory and that rates would have to go up and stay up. Boy, has he been wrong. <laughs> uh, today, it's a case of same ship, different day. Ocean freight rates on many, but not all routes are tumbling due to a looming downturn. Okay, it's not due to a looming downturn. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be that you know, they, some of these people are trying to, I don't know, squeeze out, underbid each other because they're trying to get as much traffic as they can before this downturn. That's possible, but very unlikely. Okay. It's unlikely that it's a reaction that freight rates were done, 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 transitory, just like oil prices were done, 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 transitory. And how CPI is going to be Dun, 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 transitory. All right, let's continue. Yet politics and geopolitics are still showing inflation is not transitory. What is he looking at? Even if it may have peaked and the central bankers are saying rates will have to go up further and stay up. I mean, he's gullible. You know, he's listening to the high priest. Uh, (laughs) This makes me think of um, that, man, what movie was that on? 
something about in the hood, something in the hood. It was by the Wayans brothers back in like the nineties or something, you know, from in living color, they did a movie and in, in there you had all the Wayans playing all, a bunch of different characters. And uh, he was playing a preacher and he was like up there on the podium and he's patting himself with his sweat on his, on his forehead and he's preaching. And then, you know, he's like, hallelujah, get that, get that donation plate around the side get it around the side yeah 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 put it down now don't ask yourself why the preacher have to have a nice car ha don't ask why the preacher have to have a nice house ha just give the money and (laughs) uh people listen to the high priests at the federal reserve all right this guy michael every is just i think i've read stuff by him before on here i don't remember to be honest but um his name seems familiar but he is just biting off on this. Let me read that last sentence again. Yet politics and geopolitics are still showing inflation is not transitory. Even if it may have peaked and central bankers are saying rates will have to go down uh, to go up further and stay up. So, yeah, it depends on where you're measuring CPI, not inflation, CPI, where you're measuring CPI. If you're measuring it in the UK, holy crap. I mean, it'll eventually be transitory, but right now it's not. Europe, same. US, no, it's coming down. It's coming down drastically. And Twitter space is just conked out again. I cannot believe this bullshit. All right, whatever. Um, so yeah, and, and rates will have to, central banks, central bankers are saying that rates will have to go up and stay up. Well, how do they do that if the 10-year, the five-year, you know, all the longer-dated bonds going out to the 30 are all below the Fed funds range and aren't budging? Like, they're not going to get the the reaction that they want. Monetary policy isn't going to work. They're going to lose all confidence. People are going to see that the preacher is cheating on everyone's wife, you know, that they're not real so that is it's just crazy let's continue the feds bullard would not have uh, could not have been more hawkish yesterday not only did he shrug off weak data and say rates should go to five percent to 5.25 percent but he made clear this was the lowest level they should sit at indeed he suggested that they might need to go as high as seven percent Due to the Taylor rule. True, there are doves like Brainerd lobbying for pivots too. However, the real world outside of short-term economic data backs the Bullard view more than Brainerd. Uh, I don't know what he's looking at. (laughs) I don't know what he's looking at. But if you annualize the last four months of US CPI, it's 2.4%. Where is he getting this? CPI has peaked and it's down to 2%. And if you take the shelter component out of CPI, you know, out of core, because your shelter is part of core CPI and headline, of course, but it's part of core CPI too. If you take that out, you're cutting inflation or CPI in half. So you go from 2.4 down to 1.2. 1.2. I don't know what he's looking at. Look, I mean, 
these words that he's using is in a story where he's looking at these freight rates and he's saying, <laughs> and he's saying that CPI is going to stay high and keep going up. It's crazy. All right, enough on that. Enough ripping on Michael Every from Rabobank. Let's go on to this G20 Vax Pass. I'm just going to read the little paragraph that they have here. This is uh, paragraph 23. And here, I'll, I'll link to this in Telegram right now. So that is their declaration that they left the G20 with. And it is point number 23 on there. Okay, we recognize the need for strengthening local and regional health product manufacturing capacities and cooperating as well as sustainable global and regional research and development networks to facilitate better access to VTDs globally. I guess vaccine something globally, especially in developing countries and underscore the importance of public-private partnerships and technology transfers and knowledge sharing on voluntary and mutually agreed terms. I think this is interesting too, uh, just to break in here, because the G20, you know, doesn't include a lot of the developing world. And they're always talking about the developing world, right? They're always saying for inclusion and importance and partnership with all the globe, all the global underserved and underprivileged countries and all this stuff when they, they're talking about this at the G7 and at the G20, right? They're not talking about this at the UN, say. And a lot of these emerging markets had very low vaccine uptake relative to Western countries, right? So anyway, let's continue. We support the WHO mRNA vaccine technology transfer hub, as well as all Oh man, this is bad English. As well as all as the spokes in all regions of the world with the objective of sharing technology and technical know-how on voluntary and mutually agreed terms. We welcome joint research and joint production of vaccines, including enhanced cooperation among developing countries. We acknowledge the importance of shared technical standards and verification methods under the framework of the IHR to facilitate seamless international travel, interoperability, and recognizing digital solutions and non-digital solutions, including proof of vaccinations. That's the, that's the money shot right there. We support continued international dialogue and collaboration on the establishment of trusted global digital health networks as part of the efforts to strengthen prevention and response to future pandemics that should capitalize and build on the success of the existing standards and digital COVID-19 certificates. So, I mean, it's not a strong statement, right? It's not a very strong statement, if you ask me, that they're really going in on this, but they do say that they are, uh, let me read the main sentence again. We acknowledge the importance of shared technical standards and verification methods under the framework of the IHR to facilitate seamless international travel interoperability, and recognizing digital solutions and non-digital solutions, including proof of vaccinations. All right. So there you have it. That's it for that one. All right. Open it up for anybody has a comment in Telegram. You're on. Sorry, it was kind of a rambling day. I got sidetracked with Twitter spaces crashing on me twice. 
Hope you guys have plans for the weekend that you uh, get away from the computer, hopefully, and get out enjoying some maybe last warm days of fall. Even here in Florida, we got down to uh, 45 degrees Fahrenheit or so two nights ago. So it has it was pretty chilly here. But I do like this time of year. All right, Robert Hall, let me bring you in, buddy. Hey guys, just jumping in real quick here on the edit because Robert's audio didn't come through very well on the recording. He asked me about a comment I made on FedWatch this week concerning Bitcoin not doing well during disinflationary times. So here is my answer. Okay, in a disinflationary environment, Bitcoin will struggle. I don't remember my I don't remember that exact part of the podcast that you're talking about but um i'll just flesh out my thinking here so the yes bitcoin is an inflation hedge and a deflation hedge right that if there truly was some sort of hyperinflation bitcoin would rally along with all other durable goods right like even cars in in a hyperinflationary type scenario you get the money and you spend the money as soon as possible and you buy things that hold value so bitcoin would massively rally in dollar terms in any sort of true inflationary environment but that's not what we have here um it also will benefit from a deflationary scenario because in a credit based system I mean, it'd be different if it was a commodity-backed money, like we were on a gold standard, and then Bitcoin came around, and we had deflation, then people would rush to gold, right? Um, but being a credit-based system as our starting point, and in a deflationary scenario, people want to uh, minimize their counterparty risk. If you have a dollar asset, your assets are just someone else's liability in that system. So you want to go to assets that are no one else's liability. And so that's why Bitcoin would benefit in a deflationary deflationary scenario. Um, But there is a kind of a period in between where things are fluctuating around a mean and you have this reflation situation like we had kind of since the great financial crisis, the economy reflated and it just kind of chugged along at 2% growth. All right. That's good for Bitcoin. But in the crises times in that situation, when people are rushing to pay off their debts, uh, getting dollars to pay their debts, then that's going to be bad for Bitcoin. And that's what we have seen recently. So I hope that that answers the question. Does that does that answer the question for you? All right. But we can tie this also into this ghost money idea. I did write an article recently for Bitcoin Magazine on ghost money. And in there... Uh, I talked about during a shortage period, right, that uh, humans will look for a new form of liquidity. So when you have these major shortages, uh, acute shortages, people don't have the luxury to sit back and be like, what if we use this type of other asset as money? What if we started settling in Bitcoin or gold or something? You know, they don't have time to sit back and do the coordination necessary to switch it. Their hair is on fire. They're trying to switch or they're trying to find 
enough dollars to pay off their debt, right? Before they're insolvent, before they have to declare bankruptcy. So it is the reflationary periods where your hair is not on fire. You still have deflationary pressure because you still have an outsized debt burden that you can't pay off. It's just that you're not near, like bankruptcy isn't imminent. So you have some time to sit back and think and maybe plan for the future. So during these longer periods of reflation, which I think that's what we're we're headed towards. Maybe we haven't hit the recession. You know, maybe COVID was not the true recession and the recession is still coming. But after that recession, we just will return to um, a post-GFC normal, a reflationary ho-hum, just getting by, scraping by. And in that time when you're when you're insolvency isn't acute, you have time to think about other sources of liquidity, right? And so that is when Bitcoin is really, really going to benefit. When there is a deflationary pressure in a reflationary period where bankruptcy isn't imminent, you have time to think about other sources of liquidity and Bitcoin is right there for that. So uh, yeah, that's probably when Bitcoin's next big bull market is going to kick off. I hope, I hope that is not, we don't have to wait till 2024 at this point. You know, because if we do have, let's say we roll into next year, Q1 and Q2, we have some big recession uh, and we're pretty much in recession for most of that year, 2023. And it's not till halfway through that recession that we've hit the bottom and we start coming back out of it. That's when Bitcoin will get its bid, right? So Bitcoin might, might not break to new highs until 2024. And that will be a long, painful slog. That really will be. I mean, I'll be here for it. But, man, that's a possibility that we're looking at in 2023. All right, any other hands raised? Actually, I'm going to cut it there anyway because I don't want to take up too much time. I am getting close on my... So I have Libsyn as a host for a podcast. And I only have a certain amount of megabytes every month that I pay for. And I'm getting, I think I'm like 60% full for the month. So I have to be careful of how long I'm making these, but it is a Friday. So it's kind of a day to jabber on. So any other hands? No. All right. Well, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Make sure you have some good times with friends and family and you're not too worried about the Bitcoin price and the upcoming bear market. I hope I didn't ruin your guys' weekend with being too bearish, not bullish enough. But anyway, that's it, guys. We'll see you on the next one.